Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Monday, June the 7th, 2021. We are pre-taping a show to be aired this Monday, June the 14th, 2021, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. At koop.org, many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 60th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on Co-op Radio in 2002. Has been investigating and seeking to present genuine, truth-seeking perspectives of how U.S. foreign policy impacts majority populations around the world. We also seek to identify other human-generated behaviors that either create or aggravate human misery outcomes in the world that by definition are therefore preventable and reversible. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is, too often, we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable and as worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Consistent with Dr. King's views on foreign policy, our foreign policy reveals the character of our nation. However, it is presented to the U.S. public as how we would like it to be instead of reflecting and reporting the objective reality of what transpires in the countries we have such a large determinant impact upon. So the focus of tonight's show is on an important but well-hidden dimension of U.S. foreign policy influence on the countries of the world. It is the combination of the dominant role and influence of 75% of international trade being negotiated through the U.S. dollar or European euro, while barely 2% or less is in the Chinese currency. As our guest further explains, when you combine other U.S. ally nations in NATO and include Australia, another close U.S. ally, it adds up to 90% of all international trade takes place in these currencies. Secondly, what if the United States has the power and exerts the power to unilaterally sanction and cut off one-third of the world's population and their governments from the freedom to trade with countries of their choice, unless they change their economic policies to please the United States. How would that be any different from the tyranny that prompted our own U.S. American Revolution? Essentially, what if we live in a world in which international law is whatever the United States decides it is 
due to the monopoly-like power that the dominance of the U.S. dollar provides to the United States and its implications for the world. Please join us as our guest Stansfield Smith unveils and leads us in an explication of this hidden power the United States exerts throughout the world we live in. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is your community radio station. This is Bringing Light into Darkness with your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Monday, June the 7th. We are pre-taping a show with our very special guest I'll introduce shortly for next Monday, June the 14th from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. First, I would like to welcome our guest, Stanfield Smith. And Stan, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Stan, has, he's been involved in movements against U.S. intervention in Latin America since 1979 in Nicaragua, the year of the Sandinista victory over Somoza. And also, he's cut his teeth on the civil wars in El Salvador and Guatemala in the 1980s, which, of course, also Guatemala, the brutal U.S. involvements in military dictatorships, which began or didn't begin, but took great form following the 1954 coup and were followed by many of these military dictatorships were some of the most ruthless areas of the world. And so for 15 years, Stan was active in the Chicago Committee to Free the Cuban Five and uh, publicized the case around the country. Since 2008, he has been closely involved in the national movement to end the U.S. war in Venezuela. And at present, the Committee to Free Alex Saab who we were speaking to just a couple of weeks ago. When we had Roger Harris as our guest, Mr. Saab is literally being held hostage in a small country off the coast of Africa called Cabo Verde due to U.S. interests regarding violations of U.S. sanctions. Our guest, Stan Smith, has written a number of articles on countries and subject matters that are relevant to U.S. foreign policy, including articles on Venezuela, Cuba, Bolivia, Ecuador, Russia, China, and North Korea. And his work has been published on websites such as The Gray Zone and Counterpunch, the Orinoco Tribune. And particularly, he is connected to his work publishing the Alliance for Global Justice out of Chicago and the ALBA weekly news for the past seven years. So his focus and his energies have been on these areas of the world consistently. So it's it's a great honor to have you on. I've read a number of your pieces over the years, and I have been following your activism as well. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, well, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, well, let me start off by one of the things that I wanted to ask you to speak to because you've written about it, but there are a number of powerful levers that the United States and other huge Western nations can pull and push in order to affect the economies of smaller countries. And one of one of the classic examples was leading up to the 1973 coup in Chile. And in that coup in Chile, it was preceded by a number of interventions, not just the economy, but within the civil society. And it was really the famous words, you know, make the economy scream 
had to do with the U.S. response to a country having the nerve to elect a socialist president and proceed with prioritizing the basic human needs of, of the population ahead of U.S. and Western investment profiteering returns. The extent of U.S. meddling in the internal affairs of Chile is a textbook history of the commonplace tactics the CIA used and continues to use to undermine the sovereignty of other nations. It is from the notes of the CIA director at the time, Richard Helms, his 1970 notes that prophesizes that an economic squeeze on Chile will cause its economy to scream. The extent of the violation of the sovereignty of Chile is stunning by the United States and is detailed in the book Chile, the other September 11th, the 2003 Ocean Press book. Millions of dollars were documented and approved by the Committee of 40 to aid the Christian Democratic Party uh, in order to try to avoid uh, Allende's party from coming to power. In addition to that and the labor penetration within trade unions in Chile that we'll document shortly. $25,000, this according to William Colby, a high-ranking CIA official, was used to help purchase a radio station. The CIA spent large sums on El Mercurio, the very conservative daily that openly advocated insurrection against the Allende government. El Mercurio was financed because, according to Colby, it was the only serious political force among the newspapers and television stations there. This according to the CIA file by, uh, edited by Robert Borisage and John Marks, 1976. So the penetration of civil society by the United States in Chile was remarkable. It was in labor movements. It created trucker strikes. It was in radio and newspaper ownership. It was in the electoral parties and the electoral process itself. At the end of the day, in June of 1970, Henry Kissinger told the Committee of 40 that should Allende win Chile's elections, quote, I don't see why we should stand by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its own people, end quote. And that really captures the impunity of the United States foreign policy, that no country will dictate its own preferences then and now unless they are in alignment with U.S. foreign policy interests. But somehow that's translated into promoting democracy and the unending pursuit to convince the American public of the goodness of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, Chile and the United States destabilizing of that nation is a history that's not well known. So wanted to kind of preface our discussion tonight with that history. But the labor meddling of funds went to support strikes and demonstrations that plagued the Allende regime. In other words, we were actually funding the, you know, the trucker strike at that time that some 108 leaders of the white-collar trade associations received training in the United States from the American Institute of Free Labor Development, the AIFLD, an agency that, according to former CIA activist and agent Philip Agee, was set up by the AFL-CIO under the control of the CIA. And then in the summer of 1972... The organizers of this Confederation of Truck Owners strike also received CIA money in order to allow them to pay strike benefits during the 26-day nationwide truck strike. In addition to that, monies were 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions to more than millions of dollars were put into and poured into Chile in 1970, 1971. The Committee of 40 approved monies for the purchase of a, of a, of a press for the Christian Democratic Party. In other words, we, we were trying to help a particular political party that was in opposition to Allende. Additional aid to the, uh, the Christian Democratic Party occurred on many Many occasions during that period of time in the sums of $150,000 or more on multiple occasions. And I guess the reason I bring all that up is because buying newspapers and influencing the informational environment in these countries in order to get the people of that country to fall into line with U.S.-led and Western interests rather than their own is quite an art. And I thought I would ask just a general question to start our conversation tonight, Stan, but can you let people know a little bit from your perspective, you've been following some of these color revolutions and such, but the the mechanisms that we're talking about here with Chile, I just want to kind of roll out as kind of a prototypical type of example of that. But can you talk a little bit about the manipulation that we have led into the internal affairs of sovereign nations in order to steer them in the direction that we want them to go into rather than their own sovereign choices? Yeah, I think the, the U.S. does that to any country that wants to put its own national development, economic development, independent of the United States without prioritizing the interests of the United States first. They want to put their own interests first. Then the U.S. starts to go after that country. And one way it does it is by uh, putting sanctions on a country, like it has put sanctions on Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. And to put sanctions on a country, the U.S. first has to declare that there's a, quote, national emergency due to, quote, extraordinary threats to the national security of the United States. That's what U.S. put the declared that on Venezuela, on Nicaragua, three years ago, that it was an extraordinary threat to our national security, and it was this was a national emergency. And you may wonder, well, what's, uh, what's Nicaragua been doing in the last three years that is such an extraordinary threat to ourselves? I mean, they're not behind global warming. They're not behind mass shootings. They're not... What are they doing that's the threat? U.S. put this uh, extraordinary threat to the national security. They said that about Venezuela six years ago. It was like, so what's what's the evidence of any, what's the extraordinary threat, and how are we being threatened? And they've had this thing on Cuba for decades. Mm-hmm. And it has to be renewed every year. So they should be giving some evidence when the president renews it that, you know, these are the extraordinary threats to our national security and the people of the United States that these countries have done in the last year. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing. They just make this stuff up. But to put sanctions on the country, we have to do that. Now, the sanctions is really uh, it's a way the U.S. goes to war against a country without actually a military attack. But it can have even worse effects than a military attack on a country. Like, there was some new book out that was out that was on Democracy Now! 
couple years ago, they interviewed the author about the U.S. sanctions on Iraq, and they said 880,000 children under the age of five died in Iraq in the 1990s up to 2002 because of U.S. sanctions. This, almost a million people. So right. that's like almost a mil- million children under age of five. So as many children, children under the age of five under the age of five, died from sanctions on Iraq during that 10 years, has been killed in the wars in Iraq since then. That's how terrible sanctions are. Venezuela, it's been about 120,000 people who have died from these sanctions. A lot of people don't know how these sanctions, how the U.S. is able to impose these sanctions, but I can go into that. Well, well let's back up for a second, because the sanctions, first of all, they are methods what it appears to me, in order to make the living conditions so intolerable in a country with the idea of then it getting blamed on the existing government that we are trying to change. So it's, it's almost like the government itself may not be responsible for any or very little of these types of tough living conditions or whatever, but at some point the people of that country may come to the understanding that living under these conditions is so intolerable that we're going to go ahead and and support the removal of this government, not even realizing so much many times that there is this outside hand. I mention that because there are things that are called legal sanctions, right? In other words, the legality of sanctions can occur if what, if the UN Security Council vote them in and anything in which there is no such UN vote, is that what defines the illegality, international law speaking, of sanctions? So when we hear the terms, the unilateral coercion of sanctions, I mean, because as it is now, as we speak today, what is it? It's some 39 nations of this world are under sanctions from the U.S. and the West, and it's close to a third of the population of the world. And this is during... COVID, you know, on top of everything else, when the economic conditions have been so greatly changed and reduced for many of these people. But can you back up for just a second and just discuss when sanctions are legal? Well, they're supposed to be legal according to international law, which the U.S. Constitution says they follow international law, if it's passed by the U.N. Security Council. But who gives them that authority? I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just took it. But the U.N. General Assembly itself has passed resolutions condemning sanctions on countries, unilateral sanctions. He said the U.N. General Assembly says that they're illegal and should not be obeyed. So the U.S. sanctions on other countries are illegal according to international law. But the United States doesn't care about that. In terms of U.N. Security Council sanctions on countries, those are basically, I couldn't name you one country that has asked for sanctions on another country that was, it was not the U.S. that, that did it. Uh-huh. It's basically U.S. is behind all the sanctions that's been passed. I think U.N. Security Council has sanctions on North Korea for its missile tests. But, you know, how many countries have missile tests? Are these countries all sanctions? No. So why is North Korea? Well, I don't think that any sanctions on any countries are 
uh, legitimate. I mean, anyways, who did they affect the civilians of the country? They don't affect the governments. Well, in your article back in April of this year, I think it was the end of April, and it was, I thought, really well put together because you were mentioning the different forms that sanctions can express themselves, and you made the point that the dominant United States economic position, namely the U.S. dollar being so prevalent throughout the world, that it gave the United States this incredible leverage to really make the economy scream in these countries it chooses to sanction. So Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned blocking a nation's financial transactions. You mentioned blocking a nation's trade transactions, not allowing financial institutions to, to even process those transactions, and that we can freeze the assets of another country. This inordinate power over other economies that the United States has. Can you speak to where that comes from in the, in the role of the, of the U.S. dollar in that? Uh, sure. A lot of people I know like to say the U.S. is declining, but uh, in certain sense, it's not. The big producer in the world today is China, which think its contribution to world production is now double that of the United States. But the financial control of the world is still in the hands of the U.S. and its banks. Even China, when it does all its trade, does its trade in dollars. It doesn't use its own money. The overwhelming majority of international trade is in U.S. dollars, and the second place is the European euro. So if countries want to trade with other countries, they have to use dollars of the euro. 75% of international trade is in the U.S. dollar or euro. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Japanese yen, the British uh, pound, the Canadian dollar, Australia dollar, and some other ones. And Western countries, mostly in Europe, and that adds up to more than 90% of all international trade takes place in these currencies. Mm-hmm. Now, all these countries that I named, I mean, they're under control of who? The United States. Even like China, how much international trade takes place in Chinese uh, RMB? It's not even 2% of international trade. It's about the same proportion it is for Canada. So in terms of uh, financial control in the world, China is just not important at all. Mm-hmm. Plus, the United States controls the World Bank and it controls the International Monetary Fund and it controls the World Trade Organization. So when all this money, when funds take place in the dollar or these European currencies, it goes through this system called the uh, SWIFT system, which is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. So, like, say you're in the airport in Britain and you want to change your dollars to British pounds. Before it happens, before it goes through, it goes through that system. And for a little millisecond. And if they want to block you, they can block you right there and take your money. And almost all international trade goes through that system. And all that system, it's all monitored by the United States. So the United States can block any transactions anywhere in the world if it wants to. And it can also freeze the money of some other country making a trade if it wants to. It can also seize it. So that's one main way that the U.S. has of controlling 
world trade. And this world trade, like I was reading something about when Japan trades with South Korea, when they sell autos to South Korea, they got to change their money to dollars. Both countries do to make the trade. That's how important the dollar is in the world trade. And like 97, 98% of trade that imports and exports Latin America take place in the dollar. So if you're a country like Cuba or Venezuela that the U.S. is blockading, then you can't use that system. You have to go outside of that system. So if you do use that system, they call it, U.S. calls it money laundering and try to prosecute you. And so that just cuts countries off of international trade. That's one way that it, there's several ways that the U.S. uses to impose its sanctions, not just on Cuba, it imposes its sanctions on Cuba and Venezuela, on every other country in the world, and makes sure that every other country in the world is going to be enforcing those sanctions to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let me ask you this, though. So when, you, when they talk about, for instance, the freezing the assets of a country, like in Venezuela, they had, what was it, their gold? Uh, yeah, well, their gold reserves are in Britain. They just, like, now since the U.S. declared that Juan Guido is the president of Venezuela, and the European Union has said, yes, he's the president of Venezuela, they not only froze the gold, but they in court to give it to him, but, you know, like, Sitco, they took Sitco, which was Venezuelan, now it's under the control of Juan Guaido. The banking cards are under the U.S. control that were Venezuelan government, they've been turned over to Juan Guaido. It's like, they, they can just confiscate it. They've, I mean, they've confiscated billions of dollars from Venezuela. They've kept Trump building the wall on Mexico, he used Venezuelan money that they confiscated to do it. So is it the, the monies that Venezuela then had, they are prohibited from accessing, they get taken by U.S. interests, so to speak? I mean, like Juan Rideau, though, he's, he doesn't have a bank account or something like that where he can actually tap into that money, but it's just unavailable to the, to the Venezuelan government. Is that more of the truth? But Stan, before you answer that question, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. And we'll be back right after this. 